Chapter 19 of The Call of the Wildflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Olivia. The Call of the Wildflower by Henry Salt. Chapter 19 Felons and Outlaws. The Poisoning Henbane and the Mandrake Dread. Drayton. That there are felonious as well as philanthropic flowers, plants that are actively malignant in their relation to mankind, has always been a popular belief. The opus tree, for example, has given rise to many gruesome stories, and the mandrake, fabled to shriek when torn from the ground, has played a frequent part in poetry and legend, not to mention the host of noxious weeds, the plants at whose names the verse feels loath. As Shelley has it, and thistles and nettles and darnels rank and the dock and henbane and hemlock dank the felons however of whom i would now speak are not the plants that seem merely foul and repulsive such as the docks and nettles the broomrapes toothworts and similar ill-looking parasites but rather the bold bad outlaws and highwaymen the gentlemen of the road who however deleterious to human welfare have a sinister beauty and a distinction of their own and are thus able to fascinate us prominent among these is the clan of the nightshades to which the mandrake itself belongs and which has several well-known representatives among british flowers above all the deadly nightshade or dwale as it is better named to distinguish it from smaller relatives that are wrongly described as the deadly so poisonous is the dwale that gerard three centuries ago exhorted his readers to banish these pernicious plants out of your gardens and all places near your houses where children do resort and modern writers tell us that the plant is fortunately a rare occurrence but threatened plants like threatened men live long and the dwale though very local may still be found in some abundance there are woods where it grows even in profusion and passe gerard rejoices the heart of the flower lover for in truth it has a strange and ominous charm this massive grave-looking plant with the large oval leaves heavy sombre purple blossoms and big black wolf cherries next to the dwale in the nightshade family must rank the henbane a fallen angel among wild flowers for its beauty is of the sickly and fetid kind which at once attracts and repels it is curious that in the lines from shelley's sensitive plant the epithet dank should be given to the hemlock to which it is quite unsuited rather than to the henbane where its appropriateness could not be questioned for the stalk leaves and flowers of the henbane are alike clammy to the touch presumably this uncertain and sporadic herb has become rarer of late years for whereas it is frequently stated in books to be common in waste places one may visit hundreds of waste places without a glimpse of it in the flora of lake district published in eighteen eighty five arnside is given as one of its localities but i was told by a resident that he had only once seen it there and then it had sprung up in his garden it is in similar places that the thorn apple another cousin of the nightshade is apt to make its uninvited appearance less a felon perhaps than a sturdy rogue and vagabond among flowers of ill repute a year or two ago I was told by the holder of an allotment garden that a great number of thorn apples were springing up in his ground 
and knowing my interest in flowers, he sent me a small basketful of the young plants, which, rather to my neighbor's surprise, I set out in a row like lettuces in a corner of my backyard. There they flourished well, and in due course made a fine show with their trumpet-shaped white flowers and the big thorny capsules whence the plant takes its name. It's not a bad-looking fellow, but awkward and hulking, and quite devoid of the sickly grace of the henbane or the bodeful gloom of the dwale. Passing now to the handsome but acrid tribe of ranunculi, and omitting the poisonous but interesting baneberry, of which I have already spoken, we come to two formidable plants, the hellebore and the monkshood, which have been famous from earliest times for their dangerous propensities. The green hellebore, though in Westmoreland named felongrass, is a less felonious-looking flower than its close kinsman, the fetid hellebore, whose general appearance, owing to the crude pale green of its purple-tipped sepals, and the reluctance of its globe-like buds to expand themselves fully, is one of insalubrity and unripeness. But it is a plant of distinction, some two or three feet in height, and as it flowers before the winter is well past, it can hardly fail to arrest attention in the few places where it is to be found. In Arundel Park, in Sussex, it may be seen growing in close conjunction with the deadly nightshade, a noteworthy pair of desperadoes. The other malefactor in this ranunculus family is the aconite, or monkshood, a poisonous but very picturesque flower with deep blue blossoms, which takes its name from the hood-like appearance of its upper sepal. It beareth, Gerard tells us, very fair and goodly blue flowers, in shape like a helmet, which are so beautiful that a man would think they were of some excellent virtue. A traitor, a masked bandit it is, of such evil reputation that, according to Pliny, it kills man, unless it can find in him something else to kill, some disease to it, and thus it holds its place in the pharmacopoeia. The umbellifers include a number of outlaws such as the water-drop warts and cowbane. But among the dangerous members of the tribe there is only one that attains to real greatness, and that, of course, is the hemlock, a poisoner of old established renown as witness the death of Socrates. Root of hemlock digged in the dark is one of the ingredients in the witch's cauldron in Macbeth, and the hemlock's name has always been one to conjure with, which may account for the fact that several kindred but less eminent plants unlawfully aspire to it, and are erroneously thus classed. But the true hemlock is unmistakable. The stout, blood-spotted stem distinguishes it from the lesser crew. Its finely cut fern-like leaves are exceedingly beautiful, and it is of stately habit. I have seen it growing to the height of nine feet or more, in places where the surrounding brushwood had to be overtopped. Let us give their due, then, to these outlaws of whom I have spoken, these Robin Hoods of the floral world. Bandits and highwaymen they may be, but after all, our woods and waysides would be much duller if they were banished. End of chapter 19 Read by Olivia